Hey, good morning, Foundry Church. Welcome to our second live stream here, uh, not here, wherever you are. Um, welcome to it. We're so excited to have you uh, joining us, or I think actually we're joining you in your living room, and we're just really glad to be together. Even though um, we're together yet apart, we're very thankful for this opportunity. I'm going to do it again like I did last week. I want you guys to do me a favor. Um, I want you to take a minute and greet one another around you. So just wait one second. Um, so just say good morning to everybody, you know, like in the comment section, but let us know where you're worshiping from. It's fun for people to see that this just isn't just a Zealand church, that the church is in Holland, uh, kind of regionally in West Michigan, but there's also other people worshiping with us from around the world. So do me a favor, say good morning to each other like you would in church, bump fists, um, digitally, and uh, just say good morning and let us know where you're from. We're going to take a minute and let you greet one another. Turn around, say hello to the people who are worshiping with you. Well, welcome back, friends from everywhere. Um, and the person who put Wuhan, China, no, you're not. I know who you are, and I know you live in Zealand. Um, all right. Well, thank you again for joining us to all of you who are with us right now. I want to take a minute and talk about giving, because it's a little weird right now because you can't be here and put money in the giving boxes. And so I just wanted to share with you as a church, there's two ways you can give. You can snail mail it to us. So put it to the 435 West Main address here in Zeeland, Michigan, 49464, and mail that out. We check the mail, I think, every day or every other day. And then uh, there's another way you can give. Kyle's pulling that video up right now. You can go to foundrychurch.net, click on the giving tab, and it'll walk you through it. Please continue to be generous um, as you are able. We understand for most of us, this is a time of reduced income, so we, under, we understand and we're working through that. But also, I want to extend a challenge to you as the church because we need to understand, oh, my phone just kicked on. Technical difficulty. Oh, that's the worst. All right, so what we want to do is just challenge you because many of us, most of us, are going to be receiving for the from the federal government, some stimulus money. And if you've never taken part in tithing, I am challenging the church to do that with this money, to take the first 10% and give it back to God. I'm challenging you, I'm inviting you, and I'm asking you to be a part of what the church is doing by being, gener by being faithful in your finances. So I wanna challenge that. But here's, here's why. It's not the church you tithe, but so do we as the Foundry Church. And when this all kind of went crazy a little while ago, I would say about uh, three weeks ago, when uh, maybe it was two weeks ago, when things really started locking down. Yeah, it's been two weeks. It feels like the longest two years ever. No, I've actually kind of enjoyed being with my family a lot. But uh, when things went crazy, we reached out to Harvest Stand here in Zealand, and we said, what can we do to help? And they said, really, giving food doesn't help. Bringing food from your house to us isn't really helpful right now. What we need is money. Because you tithe, we also as a church participate in giving a tenth of everything that comes in. And we were able to generously support that ministry right here in Zealand, Michigan, when they had a unique request for or way to help. We were able to do that because you've been faithful. We could be faithful. And a lot of families have received boxes of food to stock the pantries for them during this time. So thank you for your faithfulness. And I want to challenge you, be faithful and use this government stimulus as a chance, if you've never done it, to give the tithe and see what it's like to participate with God in his kingdom as he's at work.
All right. Pray with me. We're going to dive in to our last teaching on the book of Revelation. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your church gathered. Thank you for um, the many people who are gathering in their homes right now and just spending time in your word and with your community. Lord, we are of one spirit in the church, and we thank you for that, that we, though we can't be physically together, we are bound together in the unity of the spirit and the calling of Christ in redemption and in life of a, in the life of a disciple. So may we follow you courageously and obediently. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, what I want to do is I want to take and tell you a couple of truths out of my life. Um, I know that a lot of you are joining us um, from, your, from your living rooms, and a lot of you aren't in your Sunday best right now. Uh, you, you're kind of chilled in your house, maybe a cup of coffee, and you're just sitting there. And truth be told, when I was a little kid, we had a Saturday night routine in my family. Uh, first of all, my parents watched the Lawrence Welk show, which was a special version of Torment for me. But uh, usually we'd go do other things during that. But uh, later in the evening, after we had gotten showered up and cleaned up, I remember Link and I were little, and... Um, and we would uh, come out and we would watch, I can't believe I'm about to say this, Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrell sisters, uh, their little kind of, it was like a variety show. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was awesome. We loved it so much. And I, oh my goodness, I had a thing for Barbara, Louise, and Erlene. I, they were the prettiest country singers. And um, so I would come out after my shower and I would never go watch. I had my beanbag uh, there and I wouldn't go sit on it in my, in my little tidy whities I was a little fella. And I wouldn't do that because I was like, whoa, what if she could see me? And I was terrified that Barbara Mandrell could see me and you know, thus expose my shame. And I was so afraid of that. So I just want to say to you kids, if your dad's sitting there in his horrifying Christmas pajamas and you're like, dad, what if they can see you? We can't see you. Don't be afraid, children. I learned that um, and now I'm just sharing that little piece of truth and wisdom with you. Uh, second truth to be told is um, I found out during the quarantine that basically I'm like a puppy and I'm being trained. Um, so Erica, you know, as always, worried about my heart health because uh, I don't eat properly. But uh, she she will say, like, you know, she's set up exercise stuff. So we'll, like, go run or go do some workout or whatever. And, um, and it's amazing how she's like, you know, do you want to go run? I, I was going to bake. Ooh. You know, I'm like a puppy. I'm like, oh, sure, I'll run, you know, for cookies. And uh, it's kind of offsetting. I've heard you can't out-exercise a bad diet truth. Um, and so it's kind of fun because Bella and Erica have been uh, lighting. It's been like the British baking show in our house. And um, yeah, it's just so truth be told, I am basically a puppy. I will work for food and that needs to be known. All right. The book of Revelation. You spent this last week as a church listening to, reading through and struggling your way through the book of Revelation. It's a tough book, but here's what we know. We did a lot of work to read it to you, to engage with different sound effects and different things to help you see and experience some of what's going on. It may have left you a little bit confused and a little bit overwhelmed, but I want to take three truths. Now, these aren't the only three truths in the book of Revelation, but they are. there are three truths in there that we want to just kind of pull out today and take a minute and look at, and here they are. The first one is this, 
no matter what, there will always be people who hate and reject God. There will always be those people. It sounds unbelievable to the believer's ear and heart to think that there were people. There are people who no matter what God does to call them and woo them back, they will reject him and they will hate them. We saw this in the book of Revelation in chapter nine, verse 20 and 21, when it said this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 9, it says, they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues but they refused to repent and glorify him. For me, looking at that, I just, you know, truth be told, I have a hard time realizing that. But the book of Revelation tells us, and as a church, we need to understand that our calling is to share the gospel with everyone. Our calling is to be disciples of Christ, taking the next step of faithful obedience time after time, sharing the gospel. But understand, there are those who no matter what God does to call them home, they will hate God, they will reject God, they will reject you, and it is is one of the pains and agonies of the book of Revelation that that is one of the truths. There are people who no matter what God has done, they will reject him. God lovingly calling them home in Christ, they will reject that. God using discomfort, plagues, and different like agonies to wake them up and realize this world is short-lived. We, we don't live... Especially when you're young, you think, oh, I'm going to live so long. But I, I'm kind of surprised how quick I got to middle age, how quickly the years move by. And we look at it and we realize that God, out of his love, sometimes puts into the life of people very hard things as a warning, as a calling. Put your trust in something that will last. God calls out to them out of love. He calls out to them through his prophets. He warns them through the prophets. He calls to them by the church and by evangelists, by missionaries. But many people will respond by rejecting and hating God. So I want to ask something of you in this, and it's a difficult thing, but I think it's important. How do you respond to God's correction? I would guess some of us in the church right now are feeling like God's corrective hand is on us personally, but we shouldn't forget globally this is going on. In every corner of the world, this pandemic is happening, and we have to look and ask ourselves, how am I responding? If you're responding with anger and defiance, I think the book of Revelation would say, be cautious of being in that category of people who reject the correction of God. It's not because he's mad at you. It's because he, like a loving parent, is trying to instruct you or guide you in the path of righteousness. And you and I must understand that this is God's love for us that he will call us home by any means necessary. Our personal comforts matter not because we know this, that God's love for us extends into eternity, eternity, time without end in his kingdom 
or eternally separated from him. We have to look at the book of Revelation and recognize there are people who reject God no matter what. And I want to challenge you, church, what's your heart posture as God is even correcting some of us right now? Second truth is this. Salvation is for anyone who will receive Christ into their lives and praise God, time is not up. We haven't run out of time yet. The door to salvation remains wide open for any who would come to Christ. And we need to know this. For many of us, we may have met Christ as a very young child or at camp or in some, you know, maybe a revival meeting or just you came to a point of faith and you prayed the sinner's prayer and it was this beautiful moment and you just kind of move on. But we say this in our profession of faith class, publicly confessing your faith is not the end game. It is the very beginning of a life of faith. And a life of faith means this, that Jesus isn't your get out of hell free card and live as you want. When we pray that prayer and we receive Jesus Christ, we get called into a life of discipleship that calls us to the next step of faithful obedience. It is a life that trusts in the salvific and redemptive work of Jesus Christ for all of our sins. You don't get yourself out of hell. I don't get myself out of hell. The one thing that redeems me out of eternal torment and separation from God is this, the blood of Christ and his resurrection, period. So we get to rest in the goodness of God that he secured for you and for me an eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we are made back in relationship with God through Christ Jesus. That door is still opening, open for us. But there's another step. It means that once you have prayed that prayer, you obey and you become a person living transformed by the spirit of Christ in you by the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and transforming you into the image of Jesus. It's a core value here at the Foundry, and we say it this way, transformation is who we are. If you're coming here to stay the same, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place because this church celebrates transformation, understanding that once we're saved, we are growing into the image of Jesus Christ. We are being made into his image, and the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, corrects us, and disciplines us, and calls us into obedience. So dying to self. In this series, we saw many, all, all but one of the seven churches who thought they were living for Jesus, and they weren't. There were areas of their life that kept them separate from him. You're called to become like Jesus. Jesus isn't called to become like you and adopt your nature. You are called to take on his, to become the living reflection of Jesus Christ. Praise God that as of right now, it is not too late for the church to share the good news of the gospel with the world around us. People can come to Christ, receive salvation, and begin following Jesus Christ in obedience, in their redemption. All of us may turn our lives over to Jesus Christ, first as Savior and second as Lord. We give him lordship over us. We submit our lives to his counsel and his best because he knit us together. He knows us, he loves us, and he created us in his image for his glory. Remember what Matt said in the very beginning 
of this series. He did the opening teaching on this, and he talked about how um, the end times, Jesus said they would come quickly. And I think quickly we have this linear time perception, but what really the word is, is suddenly. It didn't mean the time is short. It meant once it happens in the twinkling of an eye, it's over that Jesus will come suddenly and it will be finished. And we need to understand, you're not gonna spot Jesus a few miles off and be like, oh God, forgive me for my sins and get it right. It will be in the twinkling of an eye. So you and I need to know that when Jesus Christ returns, the door closes and we may think, no, you know, I'll have a moment. I'll do it tomorrow. Let's just stop for a minute and look at where we're at right now as a nation, as individuals, as communities, as a church, as states, as, as a nation, as the globe. Everything we knew to be normal is currently turned off. Everything is turned off in our economies, in our travel, in our plans. You and I had plans for spring break, right? We were going somewhere to get warm. Enough of this horrible cold. We're gonna go get warm. How are those plans working out? They changed pretty suddenly, didn't they? Everything changes so suddenly. And we look at our lives and go, wow, like there's no job. There's nothing to do. It just suddenly stopped. And all the best laid plans of mice and men have come to nothing because there's an epidemic going on. Friends, that is a slow roll compared to the, the coming of Christ. When Jesus comes back, it is going to be done. The book will be closed. And we need to understand that we are to be ready now. We have now to share the gospel. There is no one that is beyond the grip of grace if you will share it with them. Some people will reject it. We understand that. But the truth is, salvation, the door is open right now for any and everyone to come home to Christ. Make the most of now, because suddenly that day will end. Third truth. I think this is my favorite truth. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is victorious. Over everything, Jesus is victorious. Jesus defeated sin, death, and hell on the cross and, and rising and leaving that tomb. It was defeated. It was utterly demolished. Jesus will destroy Satan, though it seems like Satan is raging, doesn't it? With all the evil in the world, when you look at what's going on, in the abuses of people from trafficking to, to just, you know, the way they prey on addictions and brokenness, it's, it's, it's like Satan is raging. But we need to understand what's going on, and maybe we need to take a, a look at it from a lens we would understand. Most of you know this. I love history. I just, I'm, I'm a history nut. I love it. So I want you to kind of join me as we, as we look back to June 6th, 1944. World War II was, um, it was kind of past its peak, but the big battles for Europe were just on the horizon. Fortress Europe was still locked up. It was all under the grip of the Nazis, of the, of the German, you know, the Wehrmacht still had it locked down. 
and the Western allies were uh, in Britain, and the U.S. was funneling a lot of resources and men there to invade Europe. Russia was driving from the east towards Berlin, and they were starting to squeeze, but we didn't have a foothold in Europe yet, the Western allies. And so there was this plan. It was called D-Day. It was the day we were going to invade the Norman coast. It's this little peninsula um, in northwest Europe, and um, we were going to invade the Norman coast. Tens of thousands of men, thousands of ships and vehicles and different things, guns and armor and ammunition and supplies and all this stuff. And we were going to invade. And on June 6th, the Allies turned it loose. They invaded Omaha, Juneau, Sword, Gold, all these different beaches down the Norman coast. And we invaded Europe. And we won a beachhead. We got a beachhead. We got a place to unload and get our footing and begin setting up to drive across Europe and crush the Wehrmacht, right? That, that was the plan. I will tell you this. Once the beachhead was established shortly after D-Day, once the Allies in the West had a beachhead and they knew they couldn't be thrown off the European continent, it was over. The war was over. It was won. It was just now a matter of when. It was a matter of when. Not if. The Allies were going to win. Because now Hitler had a ground war on two fronts, and there was no way he could fight that. It was over. It was effectively done. But let's just think back to what happened. You had the Battle of the Hedgerows through the Norman, like the Norman Peninsula, where it was crushing battle. It was brutal. Then you have the Battle of the Bulge that goes on, and you can see Hitler raging against the Western Allies, just trying to throw them back into the sea. Then you have the battle for the Nijmegen Bridge, the crossing of the Ruhr. You just have all this stuff. You have all this stuff going on. Hitler raged. This is when he put into place the final solution, when so many Jewish people were executed in the death camps, like executions went up exponentially. He put the final solution in after we had the beachhead, after we had won the hedgerows, after we had overthrown the Battle of the Bulge. Hitler was raging. Doesn't it feel like that with Satan? Because I know this, the cross of Christ said the war is over. But church, the battle is on, and you as the spirit-filled temple of God must remember and hold on to the truth that the battle is on, but the war is won. What part will you play when you remember Jesus is victorious? Jesus is victorious. June 6th, 1944, D-Day. May 8th, 1945, V-E-Day, victory in Europe. 11 months and two days of brutal combat. Brutal combat to do what? To finish what was already guaranteed. The outcome of the war, it was over on June 6th, but the battle had to be waged and fought until May 8th. That's where we're at. Church, we use this in our profession of faith class. We help them understand when you make profession of faith, you are an enemy of the prince of the power of this world. You are someone who is hated and despised by the enemy, the prince of this world. So what we have to do is understand and hold on tight to the cross of Jesus Christ. His victory is final. The grave is empty, but the battle is on. 
Fight, church. Fight, because there are a lot of people that Satan would love to take with him into hell and break the heart of God. And you, you alone in this generation are filled with the Spirit to go and share the gospel. This is our generation to do it. What will we do? How now shall we live with this opportunity before us, knowing Jesus is victorious, but we are called as the GI to kind of put it, put our shoulder into it and walk into the fight day after day, doing what? Declaring the victory of Jesus in the way we live, in the way we confidently share the gospel. We bless those who curse us. That's how we do this. Truth be told, friends, in uncertain times, the church should have an unshakable confidence in the lordship of Jesus Christ, in the certainty of his kingdom, his victory, and the work of his spirit through people like us to win the battle that lies ahead. Three truths in Revelation. People will hate and reject God, but not because we failed to share the gospel. That Jesus Christ is still an option for everyone. Salvation is still an opportunity for people to receive Jesus into their life. The door is still open. And Jesus is victorious. Jesus is victorious. And it's in his victory that we're going to participate in something in just a few minutes after we pray. So when I pray, please don't log off. We're gonna do something maybe you've never done before, but I invite you, just pray with me and then stay on the, the live stream here. We're gonna to join together in something new. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for who you are. Thank you for uh, redeeming us. Thank you for giving us a love for people who, uh, who maybe have rejected you but you haven't rejected them. And the option for them to, to come to you, Lord Jesus Christ, is right there. So we pray, Lord Jesus, would you be, be victorious in the lives of saints? And would you join us as we take part in the faithful tradition of the church in a brand new way? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna do communion. And you may be thinking like, Whoa, we can't do communion. Like, we don't have grape juice. So here's what we did. Um, I went to the foundry fridge and kitchen and just looked. I found some sparkling grape juice, so not your typical grape juice. Um, I got a little tiny muffin. I've got a bag of croutons that came from a bag of lettuce that's soon to be thrown away because that seems to be... What happens? So we have croutons. You may think like, Eric, this isn't the way the church does communion. And I would say, no, no, no. This is the way the church does communion. We're going to do communion in our homes together. We're going to do this together. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is go find anything you can use, either, I, I don't care if it's Kool-Aid. I don't care if it's water. I don't care, whatever you can find. Grab some juice if you haven't and any kind of bread product, anything you can. It could be a little bag of croutons. It could be a mini muffin from the snack drawer at home. It really doesn't matter. What matters is the faithful obedience of the church saying, we're gonna remember and participate in the death and the resurrection of Christ through communion together. So we're gonna play a worship song right now. Justin's gonna lead a worship song, and I'm gonna ask you to take some time, go get the elements, and then we're gonna come back together for communion.
So hopefully you were able to get something from the pantry and something from the refrigerator uh, or the faucet even and join us. And I know you may be a little nervous, but, but don't be. Don't be. This is a wonderful thing. This is a reminder. This is a physical participation in something that Jesus Christ called us to do. Um, it doesn't have to be me, you know, breaking the bread, you know, for us in the room. It doesn't have to be one of the venue pastors doing it. Um, but it is a thing we do together. Our theology says this is something we do corporately, and we do so remembering Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk us through the communion liturgy and, um, and give the words of institution. Then I'm going to invite you as families, as individuals, uh, whoever you're with, to take a moment and to bless each other with the broken body of Christ and the shed blood and the remembrance of that and the redemption we celebrate in it. Friends, this meal that we're about to receive, it is a feast of communion, of remembrance, and of hope. It's a feast of remembrance because we remember that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by his heavenly Father to fulfill all obedience to the divine law, even to the end, the bitter end, of a death on a criminal's cross. But by that death and by Christ's resurrection and ascension, he secured for you and for me an eternal covenant of grace, which is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God and reconciliation, the ability to take a broken relationship and bring it back together. He secured those things by his death, grace from God and a relationship with God so that not one of us would be cast away, but all would be welcome home into a relationship with God in Christ Jesus. It's a feast of communion in that we come to do this today, to have communion with that very same Jesus Christ who said, I will never leave you. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And we just finished Revelation and we just celebrated. The age hasn't ended yet. The Spirit of God lives and burns with inside the church still. And we can look at this and know that we come to have communion with that same Jesus Christ. And you may think, but these are such common things. Today it's croutons and a mini muffin. How can it be sacred? It's not just the elements. where It's ordinary elements doing extraordinary thing. It's an elements participating in an obedience to Christ where he says, I will get close to you. And some of you are going to experience, my hope is all of you will experience in some measure a closeness and an intimacy with God and communion today within your own homes as we gather together as the greater body of Christ. And finally, we come here in hope in hope that this world, its brokenness, its sorrows, and its sin don't have the final word. But we come here in hope that this, even this humble little blueberry muffin, is just a foretaste. It's just a little taste, a reminder that one day, like we read in Revelation 22, one day the heavens are going to part and Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to take us, his bride, home. And we are going to gather at the greatest party in all of eternity known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will feast and celebrate with our risen King and we will see him with faces unveiled. We will finally get to look on the high King of heaven 
We will get to be intimate and close with the one whom we call Savior and Lord, our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. One day that will come and we take this moment in hope that this world doesn't hold the final answers. But in communion, we come and have hope that the one who has the answers has not abandoned us, but he's called us back to himself. So friends, remember with me that on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, he sat at the Passover meal with his disciples. And as he ate with them, he took the bread and he broke it and he said to them, this is my body. It's broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so, remembering and in remembrance of me. And in the same manner also, he took the cup. And after he blessed it, he said to the disciples, this, this is the New Testament, and it's written in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Today, we come to the communion table as individuals. Maybe you're alone at home, but you're not alone. We're all with you. Maybe as families, and you feel like, oh, it's a little cabin fever, and you feel like, oh, I just, I just need to get out. No, take a minute and stay together because we come together right now. Even as we're apart, we come together to remember that Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, has called us to himself. I'm gonna invite you to do something real quick, wherever you're at, just to take a moment and just bow your head. And if there's any sin that you have been willfully, unrepentantly participating in, to lay that before God and confess. If there's anybody you have hatred in your heart for, to confess it and give it back to God so that you wouldn't come to this meal with a heart that is wrong so that we can come having confessed our sin and participate. Would you join me in a moment of quiet confession and then we will take and have communion together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your broken body on the cross, for your shed blood on the cross, for your death-rattling resurrection that split the grave open. Thank you for calling us out of the death of this life and into new life in you. As we participate in communion, we thank you that even though we're separate, we are one in the Spirit. We are one church gathered for the purpose of the glory of one name, for the one gospel that saves each one person coming to Christ, coming to you. Thank you, Lord, that we each individually are redeemed, called, and challenged. We love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, take whatever elements you have. Hand out the bread. Hand out the little cups. And take communion together in your homes. And we'll be right back to dismiss. Thank you for joining us today for worship, for communion, and for being a part of Christ Church. I, I love the idea. We are together, though we're apart, and, um, and we are the church, and I invite you to be the church. Be inventive. Be playful. Be enjoying however you can reach out and love on people right now. You have to get creative, but remember this. Church, the victorious Christ who created you in his image for his glory is not done calling you to the next obedience. We must be sharing our faith and taking the gospel outwards and loving this world even as he did at great personal expense. So I invite you as we turn our hearts towards Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter, to go from this today with hearts full of the anticipation of the calling of Christ, you, the purpose-filled church of Christ, though it feels like you can't get out too much, go in in every way possible, make Jesus Christ known. And when necessary, use your words. As we go from this place, I want to share with you the benediction we have every week. It's my favorite. It's a benediction of Aaron, Moses' uh, older brother, who God told him to speak this over the people of God. So people of God, hear these words from Scripture over you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, turn around Say goodbye in the comments, and hopefully we'll see you next week, and soon we'll see you in person. It's time for the church. Oh, you already left the building. We need the church to come back, but you are dismissed. Have a great day, guys.